Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. On today's show, you're going to meet Leslie Sachina, who owns and runs Cylon Rolling Acres, which is a grass-based livestock farm near Deer Park in western Wisconsin. Leslie, with the help of her husband, Scott, and their two kiddos, raise four Kiko cross goats for meat on pasture. Obviously, you guys know that I'm so excited to share more goat goodness with you guys on the Rural Woman podcast. So I really hope you guys enjoy learning more about Leslie and their operation over in Western Wisconsin. Before we get to today's show, let's go over our review of the week. The review of the week comes from Marina at Farming MRT from Apple Podcast. And this five-star rating and review says, What I Needed. When I got married to my farmer, I felt very alone and stressed about the farm. I found this podcast by pure accident while scrolling through Instagram. I started listening and this podcast was so inspiring and encouraging that I started telling our farm story on social media. Thank you for the inspiration to embrace who I am in agriculture. Well, thanks Marina for making me misty during the intro before we even get to the episode. (laughs) You guys, thank you so much for leaving your podcast rating and review. Wherever you listen, this helps other people find the show. But I want to just take a minute here. And this is something that I've had on my heart for a couple weeks now. I have heard countless stories in the last few weeks about women in agriculture who maybe don't feel like they have found their place or don't know if they should be sharing what they are, or even if their story is worth being shared. And guys, I just need to tell you that over and over and over again, yes, your story does need to be shared. You need to be heard, and you are worthy of sharing your story. You may not think that your story is very interesting, but I promise you, even if your story gets out and affects and helps one person, that one person is worth it. Okay, that wasn't the rant that I thought I was going to go on during this intro, but Marina, thank you so much for that inspiration of my rant. (laughs) I also wanted to share just one more quick thing. If you guys haven't seen on social media, I have been hosting Rural Woman Coffee Dates as well as Rural Woman Happy Hours over on Zoom. And I would love, love, love to see you guys there. So you can head on over to any one of my social media platforms, either Facebook or Instagram, and check out when the next Rural Woman Zoom date is happening. This is where we get women from all over the country, all over North America, come on, enjoy a beverage, and just chat with what's going on in the world, what's going on in their world, and just kind of decompress and relax for that one hour. We have lots of fun. We talk about all different things, including, I don't know, what was the last? We talk a lot about Tiger King, to be honest, and I think that really helps people get their mind off of what is going on in the world. So if you guys like Tiger King, if you don't like Tiger King, you can come on there and talk about that too. I don't think anybody will be offended by that. (laughs) 
So head on over either to Instagram or Facebook and check out when the next Rural Woman Zoom date will be. Okay, guys, before I keep going on too long, let's get to Leslie and her interview. Hi, Leslie, how are you? I'm doing great, Caitlin. Good. I'm so, so happy that we have finally found a time to sit down and chat for this episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you. No, I'm excited to be on here. I really appreciate the offer to come and join you on the podcast. I love listening to podcasts, so it's kind of fun to a treat really to become full circle and now be in the hot seat, I guess you could say, for being a part of one in the real deal. So thanks. Yes. I hope it's not too hot of a seat. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually... I don't, well, we're not, we haven't got started yet, but um, <laughs> just looking outside right now, it's cold outside in Wisconsin, so I think I think I'll be just fine. <laughs> right, it's the perfect time to do it. There's snow on the ground here too, so we actually have mm-hmm. time to sit down and talk and think about what we're going to say and all of the good things. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Leslie, for my listeners, give us a little bit about who you are and where you're from. Sure. Well, my name is Leslie Sachina, and I own and run a grass-based livestock farm called Cylon Rolling Acres near Deer Park, Wisconsin, and that's in western Wisconsin. So if you are not as familiar with our part of the the country, we are about an hour east of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and I'm raising meat goats on pasture, and our goats are raised specifically for meat for eating purposes. And so I've been doing this. Oh, I, my husband and I bought our farm um, in 2011. So almost nine years ago now that we purchased the farm. And a few years after that, I started raising goats. But I, um, you know, got into agriculture. Um, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I grew up in a rural community in, the, in eastern Wisconsin and was pretty involved in FFA and agriculture education growing up and that kind of led me into the direction of studying agriculture in college and after I studied agriculture marketing communications and um, started my career off um, working in agriculture communications as a writer um, a marketer working for an an agribusiness in the Minneapolis St. Paul area and so that's my roots of how I've got involved in agriculture more on the business side of things but the last you know, almost 10 years now, we've, I've been really um, kind of boots on deep and in, in working directly in agriculture as a farmer. That's awesome. And did your husband come from an agriculture background as well? He did. So he more directly. So he grew up an hour north of where we live um, in Rice Lake and grew up on a dairy farm. His parents um, sold their cows when he was in high school and they still own the farm today, but they rent out the land. Um, His dad has a small market garden. So he and he and my husband studied agribusiness in college. We didn't meet each other until we both were working at the same business. Um, the funny thing is we both went to college at the same place, but didn't know each other. But yes, he's got, he has farming background as well too, probably maybe even more so than I initially had. So that's awesome. And you said you were involved in FFA, which sector mm-hmm. of FFA were you involved in? So I was in, when I got started, what really hooked me um, was being involved on the plant side of things. So I was growing up, I always enjoyed being outside. Our family had, and nature and the outdoors, our family had our own um, small business. And part of that was building contracting business and also some rental property. And my job 
growing up was also working for the family business, but managing landscaping projects and mowing lawn and, and doing a lot of that type of work. So my project was related to, um, with FFA was on more kind of interest kind of started more on the horticultural side and, and with landscaping, but from there really stemmed into, um, an interest in learning more about animals and communications and the business side of things. And of course the leadership component that comes with the organization as well. Yeah, that's very cool. I love the structure of FFA and just the young learning in agriculture. I think it's very cool. If you've been listening to the Rural Woman podcast, then you've heard me talk all about my favorite natural deodorant from KL Skin Naturals. But did you know that they're more than just a deodorant company? My friend Leah has amazing foot butters, yummy lip balms, dreamy skin creams, and has recently introduced brand new handmade soaps into the mix. Clean and simple, these handmade bars of soap lather richly and leave skin feeling super soft. Pure kaolin clay and activated charcoal gently cleanse away toxins, and the rustic hand-cut bars are long-lasting and smell amazing. So head on over to klskindeodorant.com and use promo code WILDROSE10 to save 10% off your next order. So... With all of that being said, Leslie, how on earth did you decide that goats were going to become your main enterprise on your operation? Yeah, I, a lot of times I'll get that question. Um, I didn't have a pet goat when I was growing up. I mean, I now have a love for goats, but I wasn't necessarily where I thought I might be. But, you know, it, it really it came down to market opportunity and also an enterprise that I could manage on my own. So, the first part in terms of market opportunity, I know you've had your hand in raising goats as well too, but there's, it's really interesting as I've started to learn about goats and particularly goat meat is that there is a growing demand for it, for the meat, but yet there really isn't, there isn't an existing infrastructure like you might think about in the beef industry or even pork or poultry where it's easy for folks who are interested in eating goat meat to buy it in the grocery store or even more simply buy it directly from a farmer and there's with the growing demographic changes in our area more as our area is more diverse more people have ties or family ties where they've grown up eating goat meat or it's part of the you know their cultural background or heritage or it's just something that sounds kind of fun to eat for a you know a new type of protein and so as I was looking at those opportunities and realizing there was a gap and a need that's where I kind of honed in on raising goats the other piece is really from the fact um, when my husband and I were looking at buying land we knew that, that one of us would always be have an off-farm job it's just the nature of where we live and the proximity of being close to the, a major metro area and buying land and being first generation farmers and signing your life away to a, a farm mortgage not kind of I have the entrepreneurial bug in my blood I would say from my parents and their our, our family's business and I just knew that kind of those combination of things that if I were to be managing a farm on my own and it was going to be livestock, the small ruminants, really, I can manage most aspects of the farm on my own in terms of animal handling. So that really was appealing. You know, my husband will still help out, but in terms of me managing my herd and even doing herd health work, a lot of that is is pretty easy for me to manage on my own. So that's where it kind of came together in terms of opportunity and kind of logistically works well for me. Um, and now I'm the, the meat goat lady. You're the goat lady. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you and I wear that 
title very proudly. <laughs> I, I've, I've learned to embrace it. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know, um, but I'll embrace it lovingly. So absolutely, I'll take it for what it is. So yeah, for sure. Well, and it's funny because the reason that you chose goats is very similar to my reason as well. It was for me, it was for me to have something of my own on the farm and mm-hmm. me to kind of dip my toe into the animal livestock. Like I didn't grow up in agriculture. I had a pet dog and a pet cat. There was no FFA for me or anything like that. But for me to have this animal that is smaller in size and a bit more manageable for me to move by myself because these animals do nothing really to promote the grain operation side of our farm, which is the bread and butter of our farm. Mm -hmm. So to Mm -hmm. have these animals that I'm able to kind of manage myself for the most part is a big reason that I chose goats as well. But also I had a love of goats. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. kind of that. Oh, they are fun. (laughs) They are so, they are so fun. But at the same time, when they're your goats and they're your animals, like it's not a goat you see at a petting zoo. Like they're a lot Mm -hmm. of work. So a warning to anybody who thinks that goats Mm -hmm. are super easy. They're not easy all of the time. No, not at all. No. So tell us what the typical life cycle is for a goat on your farm. Sure. So we have right now, um, I'm still in the process of growing my herd. I have about somewhere around 40 to 50 head of breeding stock. And so most of those are the females, our does. And then um, we have a handful of breeding bucks on the males. And then so we will, those does and, and bucks, typically they'll stay in our herd from about six to seven years of age. Um, But then we will breed our does annually and it it takes about five months for them to their gestation period to have their babies. And then it's a pretty quick turnaround time with the kids that they have. So goats typically, if folks are familiar with goats or even sheep, we kind of follow in the sheep world too, because there's not a lot of research and data out there for goats. So sometimes I feel like sheep people are are my friends too. So, but um, very similar to sheep, goats usually will have twins. And so when we are raising up, raising those animal, the babies, we will have them on the farm for about eight to nine months before they're ready um, to harvest or go to market and become their next, their ultimate purpose in life for becoming part of somebody's meal or nourishment. And so it's, you know, our, in our time frame is a little bit longer than some farms because we're, our goats are raised on pasture and we use rotational grazing practices and we direct market. We um, will raise out our goats to about that nine month period, about 80 to 90 pounds, you know, depending on other folks' markets and maybe in the way they feed, it might be a little bit quicker turnaround time. So if you hear other people talk about it, that's the difference for us. Some maybe closer to like four to five months time frame as well. And so then we'll repeat that cycle annually and, and that is how it works. So we, I'm looking at the, and then probably sometime segmenting in the next year to splitting my herd into two groups and breeding three times a year. So where each doe has opportunity to breed at a nine month cycle as we are continuing to grow our herd, but then also availability for selling our meat, I want it to be able to have more um, consistent supply of meat and then also be able to still work with the realities of our climate like winter. Um, so I'm kind of in the process of kind of moving into that, that cycle as well too, but that's, that's kind of the timetable of what we're working with, with our livestock. Very cool. 
wherever or however you're listening to this podcast right now, you should take a moment and check out Stitcher. Those of you listening on Stitcher already get why. For those of you who don't know, Stitcher is a free podcast app for iPhone or Android. Stitcher is home to over 260,000 podcasts from classics like The Joe Rogan Experience, My Favorite Murderer, The Daily, Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard, and new shows such as Science Rules with Bill Nye the Science Guy. Seriously, Stitcher has a podcast for everyone. Stitcher also has smart recommendations and playlists so you can find your new favorite show and organize your current podcast favorites. Like the Rural Woman podcast. Subscribe to Stitcher Premium for bonus episodes, exclusive shows, and ad-free listening. Sign up today for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. Go to stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today. Use promo code RURALWOMAN for one free month. That's RURALWOMAN, R-U-R-A-L-W-O-M-A-N for one whole month for free on Stitcher Premium. I want to go back to something that you mentioned a little bit earlier about sure. there not being a lot of resources for goat people. Mm, and that's mm-hmm. something that I struggled with two years ago, trying to find more resources and research. I found a couple books that I read and just through Googling, but it's very true what you said. There's not a lot of research out there about goats and ruminants in that respect. There's lots about sheep, mm-hmm. but where have been some of the biggest helpful tools that you've had in learning more about goats and the ruminant aspects of a goat versus a sheep? Yes, yes. A lot of it is learning from my peers. So finding good mentors or folks who've had some experience beforehand, but really even still like trying to find other resources and the resources really can be true to, if you look at, you know, basic of like textbooks to research to even business and like, you know, the pharmaceutical investment and having good health remedy resources that are formulated for goats. So it's, yeah, it's a big challenge, but some of the resources I found, um, there's some extension um, resources um, that are, United States really that are, are pretty decent that I'll I'll often at least when I'm looking for resources will look to just because I know there's typically some research behind it but a couple of the particular resources I found to be pretty helpful or kind of become more of my go-to um, the small ruminant oh, Wormex is the website wormex.info it's a small ruminant consortium on um, parasite management goats and sheep can be pretty susceptible to parasites and so that research has been pretty useful for me in terms of animal health practices um, even from a preventative standpoint and then um, one of the other resources I found to be really helpful that is newer I'd say within the last couple of years is a book called Holistic um, Goat Care and it's a nice mix of preventative holistic approach to management in healthcare for goats, but also kind of a nod and recognition of traditional medicine as well too. So that's been a really great resource I found to be useful as well, but really looking for, and then I just look to sheep resources and I just kind of use my goat goggles and (laughs) adapt as I need be. And it's been kind of the same with, you know, from whether it's the health side of things and even as with grazing, kind of learning as I go, I'm with the resources I've got and, and kind of tweak it for what makes sense for what we're doing here on our farm. I love it. I think you should patent goat goggles. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to link both of those resources you mentioned in the show notes. So for listeners who are interested in learning more, I'll put those in the show notes so people can find that. I also have a number of other resources on my website that I can send you a link as well to include in there just because there's 
there's a number of things I have found to be useful just off the top of my head. I can't think of them, but those two in particular have been um, our good go-to resources as well. Awesome. That's great. So Leslie, what made you decide to choose the boar Kiko cross for your goat breed? Sure. You know, the boars, I would say, is pretty close to an obvious choice. One, in terms of availability of what we can access in our area for goats and boar goats are very popular. Also, they're, I always like to say they're kind of the Angus of the meat goat world. So they're, they're pretty well known um, in terms of their muscling ability and, and built well for producing meat. We have started the downfall for us, and this isn't a discredit to my peers who are in the area, but you know, we, a lot of the, the herds in our region or the upper Midwest have been raised, or a lot of them are, are 4-H projects, which is fine, or show animals. But it's a little bit different than having a commercial herd, let's say, you know, that where they're being raised for meat. So there's a lot of great attributes in terms of the look and, you know, the carcass quality for the boars. But in terms of, we've have had to learn quite a bit on working to create a little bit hardier goat to be thrive and work in, in our conditions in terms of grazing, being out on pasture and out in the elements pretty regularly. They still go outside quite a bit. And so because of that, we've um, started to incorporate the Kiko breed into our herd. I still like to have the look of the the boars because they're all, that's also the most marketable herd. When folks are looking at buying goat meat, you know, depending on their cultural background, they may be interested in knowing what kind of breed of goat. Not That's not true of all. There's often an interest in, in the boar goat. And so my goal is to have a nice crossbreed between the two. So they the marketability side, but then also the hardiness of the Kiko. And so the Kiko for us, we really has been a great addition in terms of adding, helping increase our rate of gain on pasture. And then also um, just a hardier animal overall living on a pasture and hay-based, you know, forage-based diet. So it's been it's been fun to see our herd grow over time with that philosophy in mind. It's taken some time and some patience, but I feel like we're in a good place now with our, um, our crossbreed for our herd. For sure. Very cool. So what is typically the weight then when the goats go to the butcher? Yep. So for us, because we are direct marketing all of our our meat, that means either we're selling directly to a customer or I'm using the word direct marketing loosely if we're selling to a restaurant or another wholesale buyer that's more in the region. We are marketing our goats at about 80 to 90 pounds live weight. And so a goat, once it's processed or um, harvested, usually the hanging weight's about 50% of that. So that would be about a, a carcass of about 45-ish pounds or so. And so we've moved to that weight from where we had started. Some of the the better livestock markets in our area when we first got started, just with having small numbers, we sold our goats there. And we found that the weights at those markets were much smaller. And that was about the 40 to 50 pounds per se. But for us with direct marketing and getting more cost per, you know, more meat per year processing fees. And just folks these days tend to expect larger cuts of meat. Um, we've, we've moved to raising our animals at a larger or at a heavier hanging or weight on the hoof for marketing. Yeah, for sure. That's typically, I would say the most requested 
wait around here as well for direct marketing for goats here too as well they're looking for something between the 70 to 90 pound range Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, it really depends on the clientele you know your customer's background so it can be a really wide range so yeah so since you are grass-based and in Mm -hmm. wisconsin tell us what your typical grazing plan looks like for a year sure so I'd like to say that our, our goats are out on pasture year round, except for when there's snow on the ground. There's so it's pretty, we do what we can. Um, but oh, let's see. So if we, I'll start in the springtime. So depending on when mother nature decides to let us have spring, hopefully it's earlier this year, but sometimes we have snow until May, not always, but it happens. But um, once the pasture greens up, we will start getting our goats out on pasture. I usually will wait a little bit to, give time so we don't have a muddy mess, but it's kind of a delicate cycle because once the plant growth starts, we want to keep ahead of it. So because we're rotationally grazing, so we will, once it seems like it's not too wet, we'll get the herd out and we'll start, start them out on pasture. We'll um, move them every two to four days to a new paddock within our pasture. And then they'll take that cycle throughout our, our farm on our existing pasture. And typically we'll let each area that they've been at rest for at least 30 days just to help with plant regrowth, but also be mindful of re-exposing them to their parasites. So it's really helpful in terms of the plant health and the animal health as well. And then late summer, depending on how our pasture growth is going and, and so forth, we will do a little bit of great like brush grazing and work outside of our pasture. And so that will mean we'll put up temporary fence in other areas just so that way we can, we can, we're kind of gradually trying to work on some of the brush control and overgrown buckthorn and so forth on on our farm property. But it also gives us time to let that plant, our pastures kind of recover so we can continue to graze into fall. So then we'll continue to, we'll go back to the pastures, um, rotationally graze till we can't get the fence posts into the ground because it's too cold. So typically that's in probably early November. And then at that point, we will keep the goats out on pasture. But if there's not enough plant matter out there, we will then start to feed um, our round bales. And so we will feed the round bales out on pasture because if folks are familiar with that that practice, what the great thing about it is it, one, from a very easy standpoint, it keeps our barns clean because they're kind of keeping their mess outside. But also um, as they finish off the round bales outside on pasture, they're, you know, helping fertilize the soil and, and there's the leftover seeds and so forth from the round bales, you know, also help kind of reseed the pasture. But so we continue to do that and they have access to pasture shelters at that point. And then once we get our first snow, sometimes November or December, then we will officially move the goats back to the barn for their their main shelter for the winter. We'll continue to feed them outside for some of those same reasons and also to give them exercise. But part of the reason that I keep them out as long as possible when the temperature starts to go, it kind of helps them kind of get conditioned the colder weather. They grow a nice coat of fur and and then they're you know, they kind of get used to being out in the elements. And so then we kind of wait for spring again and we kind of do it all over again. So it just kind of depends on how much green time Mother Nature decides to give us. And I'm sure it's very variant in Wisconsin, like it is mm-hmm. here in Alberta. So and no, it definitely is. Sometimes we, we don't have as much winter and other times it's 
it's quite a bit. Yes. And I don't know about you, but my goats were definitely divas when it came to the weather changes, whether it was wet or if there was snow, they were not happy right off the start, but eventually they do get used to it. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. I think it's kind of, I mean, you think about our ourselves sometimes it's like the first you know change of a season at least when it gets cold it's like oh I'm not ready for this but then after a while you get used to it and kind of the same on their end as well too for sure have you been loving the rural woman podcast are you wondering how you can support the show well friend I'm happy to announce that I've recently joined patreon what is patreon well it's a membership-based platform that provides a simple way for you to contribute to the rural woman podcast every month and get exclusive rewards in return memberships start as low as two dollars a month seriously that's less than your grande skinny extra hot caramel macchiato with whip wondering what the rewards are well they include promo codes for shop wild rose farmer draws for the rural woman podcast merchandise shout outs on the show and more your financial support of the Rural Woman podcast will help make it possible for the stories of women in agriculture to continue to be shared. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to find out more information about how you can become a patron through Patreon. One conversation that I know that I've had with a past person on the podcast, Lauren Stein. She was on episode 29. You and I know mm -hmm. her as part of yep. our goat gang. Um, exactly. Just the conception and the notion of goats being used for meat. Like it's such a small market and it's kind of more of a cultural thing. So here mm -hmm. in North America, like it is not a well-known meat that you would find in a grocery store. So having conversations with people in agriculture and even out, well, mostly outside of agriculture about goats being used for meat instead of being used in a petting zoo or for a pet. So I'm wondering if you've ever had any challenges when it comes to the public's view of goats being used for meat. Yeah, you know, I think that it is a common thought or sometimes it's kind of when I talk about that I raise goats, I often say raise goats for meat just to have it out there because usually the question I get is, oh, are you, because we're in Wisconsin, are you milking your goats, which we aren't, or they want to know if we're doing yoga. Um, those are kind of the, the common questions. But I think, you know, with YouTube and goats in pajamas and all sorts of things that you see or in music videos, it's, you know, the goat is embraced in a lot of funny ways, which I think is, in a way, it, it's fun to embrace, you know, with the work that we're doing. But I think there is, sometimes it's people go, oh, I didn't realize that they could be raised for me. But what I've been surprised is most folks that I talk to are, you know, are familiar with at least that goat meat is an option for folks to eat or it's, but they're not necessarily never really thought about maybe eating it themselves or, you know, really kind of, I guess, thought of it in that context. But, you know, their livestock, you know, they're originally, you know, also mountain animals and so forth. And so it's, you know, part of their element is being outside and, you know, as a mountain goat doing their, their thing out in the wild. But I think, you know, from a livestock perspective, animal husbandry perspective, in a lot of other countries, they're a very common animal for families to have as backyard livestock, you know, for not only for milk, but also for meat. And they're, they can be easier to raise. And so it's, you know, 
I think it's been taking some time to kind of help people understand that. But I also think that's, you know, part of the role too of, of sharing what I'm doing with my farm and my local community here is even if not everybody's eating our meat, they're aware that of what the different purposes goats are used for from an animal husbandry perspective. Absolutely. And I think you are doing a great job informing your community and just sharing your story with a wider audience of being a good steward for your land and these animals and kind of growing the knowledge and the you know concept that yes, this is a protein that you can eat and it's not a mm-hmm. cow and it's not a pig and it's not a chicken. So yeah, it's very interesting. And you also do a great job of sharing. I know I've seen on Instagram a one of the restaurants locally to you that uses your meat in their restaurants and as well, Mm -hmm. you cook your own goat meat. So I'm interested to know what are some of your favorite ways of eating goat meat? Oh, yes. Well, I'm still learning. But one of the ways that we've eaten goat a lot is in a curry. And so there's a Thai curry recipe that I've been on a kick for um, for a while. But then we also have gyro meat made, so I often like to eat gyros. And then I've got a number of other recipes that are kind of on my my list that I'd like to try of some different other more curries, but then also, oh, there's some different goat burger and some different um, types of grilled shanks and chops. But it kind of ebbs and flows when we eat goat at home just because of what's available for us to sell. So it kind of, it depends on on what I have in the freezer or if I have some stock that is left over, let's say from the previous year, that's when I know I get to do some more recipe, um, trying out new recipes, whether it's adapting other ones. And one of the other resources that I have really found to love for um, enjoying learning how to cook goat and experimenting with different types of cultural cuisines is the cookbook Cooking and Eating by James Wetler. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he published a, a great goat cookbook maybe a year, year and a half ago. But he coordinates um, Goat-tober, the October Goat Meat Month internationally. So that's a, a great resource and a fun resource um, that I've been learning to cook from. That's very cool. I still have yet unfortunately not tried goat meat it is on Mm -hmm. my list but again it's not a big available thing here in the town that I'm close by so it's definitely something that I look for when I go to the bigger centers that would have something like that on the menu so well and and as you probably know too it's more common if folks are going to be buying goat that they will buy a whole goat so it's kind of like you know your typical freezer meat purchase, you know, where you work at the butcher to get your cuts. And so even if you're raising it and you sell it that way, you may never ever have the opportunity to have, you know, a few cuts that you want to try. So, I mean, that's something where we've, we've started to offer, we talk about trends too. We've um, now started to offer cuts of meat, not just the opportunity, you know, to buy a whole goat. And that's been, it's helped us be able to learn and experiment with cooking goat too. Well, and I think that probably helps with people who are interested in trying it, but without buying this whole goat to put in their freezer, right? So oh, exactly. Yeah. Just, um, just two pounds of bit. meat is a lot better than 25. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if for whatever reason, it's not your favorite thing, then you have all of this goat in your freezer. Or I, yeah, or if you don't want to eat it every day or exactly, once a week. Exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, it has been so great talking to you. I want to ask my final question for you. The question I love to ask everyone is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Oh, the mo- you know, the most rewarding thing for me is that 
as being a livestock farmer and raising goats is I work with my animals from the point before they were even born um, to when they're when they start, you know, their life um, on this earth when they're born and help make sure that they get a good start in life and, you know, care for them and, and kind of help guide their growth. And really at the end, it's about seeing them through to their ultimate purpose and providing nourishment for somebody else's family on their, on their table. And it's, it's kind of the cycle of, of being a livestock farmer and, but it's, um, it's, a pretty amazing thing to know that I have my hand in, in this process. And really I see myself as a guide in that process because my, our does are the mama goats are really the ones that are, you know, where the credit is due, but I, I get to be a part of that process and it's pretty amazing. That's awesome. Oh, I have loved talking to you. You are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to goats and you have helped me so much in my own goat journey just by watching you and following you mm-hmm. and you being Thank willing you. to answer any questions I have about goats. So it's been so great. For my listeners who would like to stay in contact with you after the show, where can they find you online? Sure. My website for our farm is Cylon Rolling Acres, C-Y-L-O-N Rolling Acres um, dot com. And then I'm also on Instagram and Facebook with the same with my full farm name um, as the same handle, Cylon Rolling Acres. And so I were a presence um, on both those social media channels, but definitely a lot more on Instagram because it's just I think it's a more fun place, but we're in lots of places. So. That's great. And I will link all of those in the show notes as well as the resources that we mentioned earlier so people can find you and connect with you. Great. Thank you so much, Leslie, for being on the Real Woman podcast today. Thank you for having me, Caitlin. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.